1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? He's a rocker. Doctor. Don't talk about that. You never know what it might be attached to. Inventor. Activate oscillator. He's on the sound barrier. Philosopher. No matter where you go, there you are. And the only hero. Buckaroo. 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 Curse are you bonsai. Who can save us all? Evil. Blood devil from the eighth dimension. Grab him. Launch thermal pod. Buckaroo bonsai is pure nutty fun. Buckaroo, you got your thruster. What are you all on for what? The cult sci-fi classic. Run, run! In a dimension all its own. Real-life Martians landing in New Jersey. Torito. We will fire a portable beam weapon. Vaporize the whole damn planet? If we blow this today... Get him up. There ain't no tomorrow. Left, I said left. This is left. I mean my left. All left, go your right. Buckaroo, the president's calling about is everything okay with the alien space club and planet 10, or should you just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai. Which was yes, destroy Russia or uh, number two? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spitaro, and this time around, I am joined by Dr. Bill Robinson. I just, I got no quotes. <laughs> and Mr. Gene Hendricks. The fellows call me New Jersey. <laughs> I got no quotes either. <laughs> we are doing a long-awaited podcast, actually, because when Is It Yours was first conceptualized, before there were any episodes uh, posted uh, and I was speaking to Bill and Gene about what movies they'd like to cover they both requested The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension I had never seen this movie I requested it from my local public library, it came in I brought it home, I didn't get a chance to watch it, I returned it and whatever, two years has gone by and this week it was on I don't even know what cable channel, but it was on a cable channel, and I DVR'd it, and I watched it, and I'm ready to record, and I'm here to tell you that this is the first time I've ever seen this movie, 
Uh, I've heard a lot of people express their love for it. And having now sat and watched it, I want you guys to tell me what is the basis of your love? Well, for me, this is one of the movies that I got introduced to very young. Uh, my dad was... He, he's, he's not a huge science fiction guy. Uh, he loves monsters. One of his favorite movies of all time is King Kong. So he understands. <laughs> he, he understands the, the obsession with a genre. So this was one of those movies back in the day that was run a lot on HBO. I wouldn't say constantly. It's not never-ending story kind of level. But it, it would show up quite often. And he pointed me to it and said, hey, you know, this looks interesting. You know, it's got some really good actors in it. Uh, seems kind of funny. Why don't you watch it? So that's... Mm. I didn't understand everything that was going on in the movie. Well, that I makes two of it. us. Uh, <laughs> but it, I just... I loved the idea of this... And I'll just lay it right on the line. Buckaroo Banzai is a Mary Sue. Because if uh, if I can read the... Uh, it can goals, you... Can, I'm, and I'm, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Gene. But yeah. can, by definition, can a Mary Sue be a man? Because I, I always understood that that had to be a female character to be a Mary Sue. I, I get I where know. you're saying that for this character. Right. But I'm just saying, is that the proper definition or not? I just don't know. And I'm I'm only asking it because I want to use the term correctly. I saw that as a concept, not necessarily women. But I'll look it up right, right quick. Uh, yeah. real quick. All right, well, Bill uh, looks it up. Gene, you keep talking, buddy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pull out issue number two of the Buckaroo Banzai Marvel Comics adaption. And <laughs> just, Mr. Mr. Hendricks does his research, ladies yes. and gentlemen. So wrap your head around this. This is the Stanley Presents thing. Dr. Buckaroo Banzai, noted physicist, neurosurgeon, psychologist, poet, musician, and all-around hero. And musician's probably understating it because he's a rock star. He's Well, and it also doesn't say in there that he has the ear of the President of the United States. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so he's able to do anything. Is right. This saying. this is a this is a character. This is an author insert character. This is someone who you can you can tell that you know, and it, it's a parody of that trope, really. But you can tell that this is the kind of guy who uh, let let's put it in Star Trek terms. Uh, this would be the character who somehow time jumped from the twentieth century to the 23rd century, became Fleet Admiral, has his own rock band, and is uh, married to the hottest woman on the ship, but is still able to date every other woman. Mm -hmm. Mary Sue does not have to be a woman. Okay. It's just a... It, it's, it is a, a... Mary Sue is an original fiction... An original character in, well, fan, fan fiction at this point, which it's discussing... Uh, usually but not always female, who for one reason or another is deemed undesirable by fan critics. Uh, oh, well, that's one definition. And the character may be judged Mary Sue if she is, or he, is competent in too many areas, uh, is physically attractive, and or is viewed as admirable by other characters. Admirable. I think that second defin definition is the way I understood it more. Mm -hmm. I, 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 didn't, I never thought undesirable entered into it i just thought well, over, critics over, overly competent with an unearned level of confident uh, competence 
was kind of the way I understood it. And it was as described to me, and it's not meant to, uh, this is not meant to be a sexual commentary, but as described to me, it was kind of used to overcompensate with some female characters to make up for the fact that in the past in literature and fiction, they were always presented as the damsel in distress. So it's kind of mm. like an overcompensation for that. I mean, that that's the way I understood it. Uh, I could see where you could expand that to any character that's just overly competent and just capable of anything. Because I, I see that as possible with this particular character. I don't think that's a bad description at all by Eugene, because he strikes me as the character who can do anything. And if you're writing continuing adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, uh, you could basically have a deus ex machina in every, every, you know, every episode where he resolves the uh, dilemma with some unforeseen prior to that ability. Yeah. And it, you you don't see it so much in this movie. Uh, you just you because they lay everything out in the beginning of this is what he can do, and then he does it. <laughs> so it's, well, but they lay out that this is what he can do, and he can do anything. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. really what they do. Pretty much, well, they they yes. they do not give him any limitations whatsoever. Just to be nitpicky, since I guess maybe I'm the Billy Sue. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a male can also be referred to as a Marty Stew, Larry Stew, or Gary Stew, but Mary Sue is used more commonly. Because it's an term. overall term. You yeah. know, I, I, prefer, I prefer to just use it unisex at this point. Yeah. yeah. And I, I prefer not to go to those other names because they just sound <laughs> stupid. Mm. Billy Sue. Stupid. <laughs> so, you know, as a kid, I enjoyed the the idea of oh there's a you could be a guy that can do all this then as i got older i realized oh they're making fun of that trope okay <laughs> now i get it okay. wait what <laughs> <laughs> so so let, let me ask you something gene between uh, 1984 and 2000 we'll, we'll we'll skip the last 18 years between 1984 and 2000 how many times did you watch this movie Oy, um Somewhere in the 30s. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Yeah. Uh, well, this is, this is one of the ones that I had on VHS in my room. This is one of the ones that I was allowed to keep in my room, along with, I think, uh, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster and all the Star Wars movies. And uh, if you don't mind my asking, how old were you the first time you saw this? 11 or 12. All right, so you would be right in the sweet spot for this one. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, William, yeah. where does your love for this movie come? Uh, it's, uh, I was a little bit older than Gene, because I think I am a I little was bit 40. older than you, right, Gene? <laughs> yes. So I was, this came out in You probably would have been about 15. Four, so I was probably about, I remember being in high school and... Um, you know, I was at the awkward age where I wanted to be able to do anything I could. I wanted to, you know, so this appealed more to me as bec that Buckaroo was so perfect that it's like, wow, man, I could be Buckaroo Bonsai. Uh, and Buckaroo this was Bonsai. on. <laughs> this was perfect on. Perfect Billy. Perfect. Perfect. Get it. There you go. And, um, I to 
to peek behind the curtain. This is not the first time Gene and I have done a podcast. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention that. I know that the two of you did uh, an episode the of the Grady's on this particular topic. And we were asked. We weren't, you know. Yeah, in, in fact, I, I was totally in the loop when that was going on. You guys, you, you didn't you didn't sneak behind my back to do it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'm sure we do this. I'm sure we're going to trend some of the same, tread some of the same ground here. Uh, you know, I hope to give a slightly different perspective on it, but you know, yeah, yeah. It, it, I'm sure. I, I think it's impossible to not hit on some of the same points, right? Uh, Which I'm but, about to right now. Okay, go so, ahead. Uh, so, um, I love this movie. I watched it every time it came on, and then uh, through the power of having a VCR, um, was able to tape it, and uh, like I set on the Grady's, um, this movie caused me to have my first uh, fight with my with my stepdad as I was taping it for a friend, <coughs> a girl, and uh, yeah, exactly. Well, in hopes was, of. Mm. <laughs> so there was things I was supposed to have done before he got home, and there's no reason why I couldn't have just gone out and mowed the grass, because I'd seen the movie numerous times, but while I was taping, I had to sit there and watch it. I guess to make sure everything went okay, like I was the director. And uh, so he comes home, and I'm sitting there watching TV, and he comes over. He just says to turn the TV off. He turns off the VCR, and I jump up. And before I can stop myself, I'm like, what the blank do you think you're doing? Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. That didn't go well. <laughs> so, this to say I take that another day <laughs> after I cut the grass and uh, you know not going to say it was physical things going on but it was the 80s so that's, that's all I'm going to say about that and I, I did use some pretty harsh language but uh, but it, this this movie see that's why I, I'm pretty sure we're going to have a difference of opinion because of where and Gene and I saw it versus where you've seen it and come into it I'm sure you can have enjoy certain aspects of it but you're not going to get sucked in like we were yeah well that that's why i started off with asking where you know where, where your initial love comes from because it is a very different circumstance uh, you know 1984 when this came out was uh i was in i was in my last year of college at the time so or actually it's august of 1984 so i had finished my last year of college and you know i was not the uh I was not a, I was not the social success that I that I wished I was, but I was still out a lot. So I never never did get to see it in the movies, and never it, it was to, like totally off my radar uh, for you whatever reason. You would have you would have been uh, Buckaroo in the bar playing the piano or trying to play the piano, <laughs> wanting to play the piano, wanting yes, anything beyond wanting it would be uh, a lie. Uh, so it, it totally kind of went under my radar for some reason for many years. And then it's just one I never got around to because I had heard a lot of people talking about it over the years. But I had never I had never really heard specifics, to be honest with you. Uh, so I came into this fairly clean. I didn't really know what to expect. And uh, I'm telling you, you know, I, I, I don't mean to be harsh. Uh, but That's okay. But I, you know, like shortly into the movie, I was thinking, what the hell is going on here? And and if we weren't doing this podcast, I probably would have turned it off and not watched it to the end. Uh, you know, again, I'm not I'm not just trying to blast it, but it just it, it was it was confusing. I, I I kept saying to myself, but it's a parody. Don't try and take it too seriously. 
but the parody aspect of it was lost on me to a great extent. I wasn't really seeing it as funny. The only one who I kind of found funny was uh, Jeff Goldblum. Well, it's Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, and and I think that's why I think just by he's his Jeff Goldblum the same character, so. he always does. <laughs> but 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 in a cheesy cowboy costume. <laughs> so you know, I, I just found that amusing, and it was amusing in a non sequitur kind of way. It wasn't amusing where like I'm connecting it and saying this is funny because blah blah blah. It was funny just because it's like what the hell is he wearing a cowboy uniform for? <laughs> because uh, he you likes know, country music. On on the positive end, you know that's one of the things. Uh, it, it's a stellar cast. I have to say, I mean, we got Peter Weller, we got John Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, I'm just trying to skip over the names that I don't think are as big. Clancy Brown, Vincent Chiavelli, Dan Hedaya. Uh, he's not listed here, but uh, but Mike from Breaking Bad, Jonathan uh, Banks is in it. And and honestly, that was one of the things that, that I, I was saying. John, John Lithgow could never beat up Jonathan Banks. Who are you kidding? <laughs> Jonathan Banks would tear him to shreds. Uh, but like I said, you know, like uh, some some of the humor, or a great deal of the humor, was kind of lost on me. Uh, I feel like in order for this to be successful for me, it needed to be wrapped in a slightly less convoluted plot. And I understand the aspect of it that this is meant to be part of an ongoing saga. And you're jumping in in the middle, and and you you know for all intents and purposes, when you're leaving, it's not 100% over. It's going to go on. Uh, and I I don't want to compare it to like one of my favorite movies of all time and say, well, it's not as good as this, but it's something where like I feel like Indiana Jones do, did so 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 much better in in virtually all of them, including Kingdom of the Crystal, Crystal Skull, is. You know, that you, you join things in progress and you kind of feel like, okay, I could catch up and I know what's going on. And I think to, to make that comparison or to take that comparison a little bit slower, even the Mary Sue aspect of Indiana Jones, while he's incredibly competent, you never feel like he doesn't earn it. Because he's, you could always see his mind racing, and he's trying to figure things out, and he doesn't know if it's going to quite work. Uh, you know, I, I would similarly define Bruce Willis in the Die Hard movies. Uh, you know, he, you always get the feeling that even though he succeeds in everything, that he's fallible. Whereas that's not really the case with Buckaroo. Um, there, there, yeah. I don't know. It's it, it just like I said. What 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 I my attitude coming into this was. Guys, tell me why I shouldn't be rating this as a Jaws 4. Well, I think it's, and maybe Gene will agree with this, because of the multiple viewings that he and I have both had, I don't think I can go back then and, and say what I thought of it the very first time I saw it and the way that I absorbed the plot, because I've seen it so many times now. I don't remember if I was like, well, wait a minute, what, 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 what did I just watch? Because maybe because I was younger, I was more accepting, I wasn't very rigid in, in my thinking, so I was able to go, oh, okay, I, I just accepted it and moved on. Okay, he could do that too. I could do that too. All right, <laughs> wow, this guy is great. And, and, and while I'm taking that as an it. insult, I'm, I'm going to openly say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was a little rigid in how I viewed this. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try. Well, no, because to I pretend watched, that you know, I sat there. Things. And accepted every bit of it. I think at, at 10, 11 years old, I would have gone along for the ride. And if I went along for the ride, maybe by the third or fourth viewing, I probably would have been so familiar with everything that was going on that it would have been like a real fun ride for me. Only I just don't have that. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, and there's certain things now, like uh, my kids will be watching and I'll come in and go, well, who's that? What is this doing? What's going on here? Why did that guy do that? Or I'm in the mindset that I've watched so much television movies and read books. I'll sit there and go, oh, well, this is going to happen next. And then within the next five minutes, that happens. And they sit there and look at me and go, really? Go go in the, go in the other room. <laughs> go clean the room. enjoy box. this. <laughs> yeah. What are I, you thinking? I, I specifically remember I didn't understand the plot the first time I saw it. Because there were certain aspects, you know, specifically when he went through the mountain. It's like, okay, how? That, even though he explains it later. It's you, you're just watching and like, where the hell did this come from? But I think part of the, the reason I went with it a little more was beyond just the age thing is because I had been familiar with superheroes that would do stuff like this. Now, we weren't at the point of the Bat God yet, but you would always have Batman able to, oh, well, I just happen to be an expert in this and you know, more Adam West kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it was he was basically Batman without the costume. And I had also... Uh, I was familiar with Sherlock Holmes, so the idea of the Blue Blazer regulars was, you know, okay, that Baker Street regulars. I get where that's coming from. Uh, so I, I think I just did go along for the ride and just wanted to see where it was going. And one of the things that I latched on to was... The over-the-top performances, especially by John Lithgow. I mean, the the man chewed every single piece of scenery in the movie. <laughs> and, and and Peter Weller is his exact opposite in that he's basically 99% of the time he's completely reserved and in control, mm-hmm. no matter what's going on. Whereas John Lithgow is just a complete loon. Yeah, the, the most um, out-of-control Peter Weller gets is when they let him know that... Um, when he first gets shocked? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, because that, he's, he's like, conference room! And just has to, to run down there. But then, you know, even when his mentor and the man that raised him, Professor Hakita, is kidnapped, is the deuce, you say. That's it? <laughs> That's your reaction? <laughs> so, yeah, it plays to Weller's strengths in being stoic, and yeah, he's very deadpan in everything he does. Yeah. So this is this and Robocop are like his two ideal roles. But then that, not saying too much for his acting range there, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I enjoy his strengths. <laughs> and he's also a very good host for Engineering and Empire. But that's way down the line. But also, you know, it, it's like he's this calm center in this completely crazy world. I mean, even the uh, yeah the electroids the black and red electroids are are interesting in that you know obviously the black electroids are all Jamaican yeah which and, is an interesting choice right there yeah and the red electroids are uh, a holes well yeah <laughs> that's that the best way to put it um, because John Warfin is the one that's completely over the top everybody Lord, else Lord John Warfin thank you. Il Duce, yes. Um, but everybody, all the other ones are just like workaday slobs. They're, they just want to, they want to go home. <laughs> They've been stuck here since 1938. They're sick of it. They have to do this work. But when they're not, they're sitting, you know, 
you know, weirdly configured chaise lounge, watching television, uh, torturing women with slugs, whatever the hell that was about. Uh, John O'Connor. Yeah. John Gomez. John, John Yaya. <laughs> John Big Booty. Big Booty. Tay. Tay. <laughs> and you get some really good performances out of people like Christopher Lloyd, where because even at this point, he was still mainly known as Jim from Taxi. Mm-hmm. Nobody move or the prof gets it. Yeah. But it, it was just, it was, and this, this is the funny part. It was like a comic book brought to life. I'm glad you said that, Gene, because I was going to do, that was going to be one of the points I was going to make. Uh, one of the shows we just recorded recently was with uh, Scott for Back to the Bins. We covered a Silver Age slash Bronze Age Superman comic, and that's the way I kind of look at the concepts and the things that happen. This is like a, it's like a Silver Age movie brought to yeah. life on screen. That the concepts are kind of out there and the things that happen, and you just need to just me- metaphorically roll a fat one and just enjoy it. And then when you're done with it, maybe just move on to something else or go back and watch it again and maybe try to get something else out of it. Because from repeated viewings, there's many things in the background you don't pick up on that uh, Gene and I pointed out on the Grady's, and we'll mention a little bit here um, as we go. Excuse me. Does that help you at all, Paul? (laughs) Well, you know what? I will will accept uh, your description of it, and I could understand that. Now, it's funny because I I really do get a kick out of Silver Age comics. Um, And if I recall, when we recorded that particular episode, and on quite a few other episodes that we've had some Silver Age books... Uh, you know, I, I've ultimately come to the conclusion when it came time to rate the book of, yeah, the story was a little, you know, off the wall, but it's the Silver Age, so, you know, we, we have to give it a little bit of leeway for that. Uh, at least in my viewing of this. Now, in my rating, I'm going to have to think. But in my viewing of it, I wasn't quite so kind. Um, you know, I, I found it kept losing my interest. I kept having to fight to, to keep my interest going because the story just seemed... It seemed like a great many non sequiturs thrown together. There are some, I mean, mm-hmm. there are some slow points. Watching it now after so many years, because I watched it a lot recently, and uh, and actually have it on Blu-ray, and there are a couple points to where you're kind of like, mm, yeah, this is a little slower than I remember, but I but but I know what's coming, so I can trudge through a few of these areas and just you know let it go. Now, th- this is this is a movie, before I watched it, if I had been, like, walking through, say, Target, and I saw this on Blu-ray for, like, $4.99, uh, I probably would have said, you know what, I'm going to buy it, because I have to watch it for the show, and I know I know Bill and Gene love it, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy it, so I'll just buy it. And, and frankly, I would have regretted the purchase. <laughs> you would have demanded throw it money it. I'll us. never watch this again. Uh, I, I would have been like, damn, this is going to take up all that space in my house now. Um <laughs> So, you know, like I said, I, I can I can understand the concept of the Silver Age comic and, and all of that. But while I'm forgiving of certain Silver Age books and the way they, they're presented, I'm not quite as forgiving when we read a more modern book and it's and it's presented in a Silver Age way. So I think some of that may be happening with this. I think had I watched this 
as an 11-year-old or a 15-year-old, as you two did, I think I would have been very much more in a mind to give it a shot. Uh, that wasn't possible because I was older than that when it came out. Uh, and, and since I didn't watch it back then, obviously, I, I totally closed the door on any, any chance of that. Uh, it may be, to some extent, a victim of so many other science fiction movies and you know different type of comedies and things that have come out since then that if, if I had watched this when it was new, I may have been more open-minded to it. Well, plus, this was a pretty safe movie, like Gene was saying, to watch for the age ranges. It wasn't heavy on the horror. The violence wasn't really, you know, it wasn't gory. It was it was a pretty safe movie. Yeah, you had all these people getting shot, some of them killed, and the only blood you saw was when one of the electroids was bleeding out was, like, green goo. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was definitely meant for a early teens audience i would say and something that just occurred to me is because as we're talking i do have the the comic books sitting out with me and this is a 20th century fox production it's not disney and, owns it and marvel did the adaptation so i wonder if we'll get an ongoing buckaroo bonsai comic at some point i don't know they throw everything else out there yeah <laughs> but really um like I said, it, it, this is a comic, essentially a comic book come to life. The problem, though, is that it doesn't translate backwards because the the two issue limited series that they had, it basically gives you the high points of the movie, but doesn't really add anything uh, except for the very very first issue. On the first page, it gives you the background of Buckaroo's parents, and it weaves in the World Crime League, which was supposed to be the second movie. But obviously, this one didn't do very well, so there was yeah, no second which, movie. Where did you watch it, Paul? Did you, because there's probably... In my, in my living room? No, no, no. I mean, which, <laughs> uh, what did you t- t- tape it off of? A local channel or like AMC or... Uh, it, was, it, it, it did have commercials. Okay, well, here, here's my question. This is, I think this is where you're going, Bill. Was the opening of the movie a text crawl or a video? Text crawl. Okay. Because okay. there's an extended edition out there. Uh, I did not watch that for this because I figured you were using going to watch the theatrical version. The extended cut has Buckaroo's parents and their experiment with a jet car in the beginning of the movie. And it ex- you, you see where Buckaroo gets the, uh, the impetus to study all this stuff from. I, I honestly don't think it makes it a better movie. It's nice to see, but I, I actually prefer the text version in the beginning because it, it makes it makes it feel more like star wars or an old flash gordon serial or something yeah it's hey this is the character get going jamie lee curtis plays his mom yes hmm. oh, that's interesting. and you have a five-year-old bonsai and um basically a jet car is sabotaged and they die in the explosion of the jet car on his like fifth birthday so it's kind of a sad sad scene Okay, since I don't have a whole, whole lot to add on this one, I'm going to ask you guys to tell me what you feel are the highlights of this movie. Let's see. I would well, I already mentioned John Lithgow. Any scene he's in, gold. In fact, you know, one of the uh, one of the most quotable lines, and this has 
at least for me, this has a lot of quotable lines. But oh, yeah. one of the most is John Lithgow. Laugh while you can, monkey boy. I'm going to home. <laughs> home is where you wear your hat. <laughs> okay, let's stop because we could just go on for an hour like yeah. that. <laughs> um, I I'm also taking like... your television, Doc. I don't know how one guy could use so much electricity. <laughs> 10,000 kilowatts again this month. Wow. Uh, but I also, I like the the support stuff. I like the fact that you have, you actually have Clancy Brown in a non-villainous role for once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the, the, the entire interaction with the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Now, that's not to say they're all spectacular performances. Um, the, probably the least perfect would be Perfect Tommy. He has a lot of flat line readings in this. Oh, yeah. But I, I just like the fact that he's got this support staff. They all know what's going on you know, with him so they can figure things out on their own and then report back. It's, so really, Buckaroo isn't figuring everything out. Like, for example, New Jersey's the one that figured out that there's a War of the Worlds connection. Hello, Matt Hunsworth. Mm-hmm. But he did get the video date wrong because war, the War of the Worlds broadcast was October 30th, 1938, not 31st, but that's me being pedantic again. But the idea that he's got these smart people that all enjoy being together, they, you know, Josh back and forth, you know, like, Reno, go do this. Well, why can't you do it? Well, I'm busy as he's reading the newspaper. Yeah, it's, it's something that I can see the group Reno of, with his uh, two ties and or no, two yeah. belts. <laughs> Two belts. Did he have two ties? But he, he did have two belts. That was a fashion thing in the eighties. I remember that. Yeah, two we were, thin belts. We were watching it last night, and Michelle at you know during the greatest closing credit sequence of all time. Oh, Michelle, he. Need, <laughs> Michelle he, turned to me and said, "Oh, do you remember the two belt craze in the eighties?" Uh, Paul, do you know what they're? Uh, uh, did you read any of the trivia on this about the close? About the end title scene? Uh, I saw something on it, but I don't recall. Why don't you enlighten us? So when they're walking, you know, to that upbeat music. Mm-hmm. They're actually walking to uh, Uptown Girl because they didn't have the final music done. So they're playing Billy Joel, and that's what they're... So if you were to put Uptown Girl <laughs> over that music, that's actually what they're walking to. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. I had not seen that. So, yeah, that's... Uh, and I agree with Gene. This does have... Before we were given end credit scenes with Marvel, and that became a commonplace thing, this was the first time I saw this, like, ooh, hey, what's this? There's, like, there's more to the movie? And everybody that was in the movie, even the people that may or may not be dead, because there's a whole theory we have on that as to whether or not... But I think we put that to bed, didn't we, Gene, that, that Rawhide was dead? Yes. Even yeah, though he that, appears in the credits walking with the rest of the cast? Yeah, because it, it was like a, an alternate timeline thing at the, at the very end. Because you also notice that Perfect Tommy's outfit changes in the <laughs> yes. mid-credit scene. <laughs> mid-credit scene. He's suddenly just wearing different clothes. But yeah. he's Perfect Tommy, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is when also when Ellen Barkin was still... Uh, Life hadn't really hit her pretty hard, so. As mentioned before, rare. Yes. <laughs> she she was. I think this is before she was particularly famous, uh, but she did. Yeah, she did have a uh, 
you know, there, there was a point in her career where she had a, a high point not too long after this. Yeah. She's, her character was just confusing to me in many ways. Uh, she's I, I mean, exact duplicate of his wife who's dead. And, she was his twin sister of yeah. his dead wife. Come on. Yeah. That's a thing. Then the whole the whole scene, you know, where he did they're at the concert and he hears her crying. I, I don't. I mean, that's like, one of the most iconic quotes from the whole. No matter where you go, there you are. And and uh, you know, I have to say, I always thought I always took that one as being from the Brady Bunch movie, and no, this predates that. So I have to say, I, I had wrongly credited that line. But it's uh, I I attribute that to his buckaroo sense. Is wow, there, there's one person in this in the entirety of Artie's Artery. There's a, a great name for you, uh, that is not enjoying themselves, and he can pick it out even with the music blaring and his you know tiny little trumpet that he's playing. He can hear all of that as, Oh, you're not having a good time, so I'm going to focus on you because th- that's going to make things better. <laughs> just stop everyone's good time to make sure you're happy and make so. sure she doesn't commit suicide yeah well that he didn't that wasn't buckaroo doing that that was someone bumping her arm no if that person didn't no, bump that her arm saved her. no but that's that's my point is is yeah. is is he, he stopped everything because she was so sad and then she was going to commit suicide anyway so he really didn't help then he anything could, then he sings a sad song so that yeah, yeah maybe... <laughs> well sings you know like uh, Defined singing like William Shatner sings. Yes. Well, and and what you know, I, I, I did I did confirm that he actually sang sang that song. He also played his own instruments. Yeah. I mean, Peter Weller is somewhat of a Renaissance man in real life. He's almost <laughs> he, he is almost, almost is Bonsai in some some respects. Although we you know we differ probably on his really his acting ability his range. But as for other things he does other than acting, I mean, I believe he's an art professor. Or is he film professor? Oh, I can't remember which one it is. I mean, I don't he know. does. But, you know, like I mentioned before, he he does uh, or did the engineering the engineering an empire show on History Channel, where he was the presenter, but he was also also I think one of the producers because it's something he wanted to put out there. He said, "This is something that people need to know." So yeah, he he's got his hands in a lot of different things. Uh, well, to, to give you a little bit of his Wikipedia background, it says in 2004, Weller completed a Master's of Arts degree in Roman and Renaissance Arts, uh, Renaissance Art at Syracuse University, Florence, Italy, and occasionally taught courses in ancient history at the university. In 2007, Weller began a PhD at UCLA in Italian Renaissance Art History. In October 2013, he filed his dissertation entitled Alberti Before Florence, Early sources informing Leon Battista Alberti's De Pictura, and was awarded his doctorate in 2014. So he he is, you know, he's he's certainly educated. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Now he did, you know, all those things that I just read. He did post becoming famous. Uh, I don't think writing your dissertation becomes any easier because you're famous, but I think getting a job teaching a uh, class does. So I'm, mm. not sh- I'm not sure where to go with that information if to, to, mm. to scoff at it or to totally, uh, you know, genuflect before it. But I, I, I would tend to think more on the latter than the former. Mm. 
Now, uh, while we're talking trivia, did uh, Bill, you probably already know this, but uh, Paul, do you know who played the president in this movie? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Uh, the actor's name was Ronald Lacey, also known as Major Arnold Ernst Tote in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which you would never know. Because no. his voice is different. He's got a mustache. He's got a toupee. He's laying down. Oh, yeah. He's kind of <laughs> no. strapped in there. <laughs> I would not have known that at all. Yeah, very, it's one of those things that yeah, I came across. Because uh, he, he was also in one of my favorite Sherlock Holmes episodes with Jeremy Brett, The Sign of Four. As he plays twins in that. But that... You know, he's got the bald head, no facial hair, and... And a big scar on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got the the same kind of voice that he does in Raiders. Yeah, the poor fellow died at 55 years old. Yeah, liver cancer. That's ugh, not mm. good. But I just thought you would like the... Since you had mentioned Raiders before, I thought you would like that connection. Well, I, I feel like this movie, it's not trying to ape Raiders in any way, shape, or form, but I feel like it's trying to look for the same audience. Well, some of the concepts, uh, this is also in the trivia, but it did jar a memory, and uh, maybe something you can put it more into perspective. Uh, the overall concept and several names appear to be taken from Doc Savage pulp magazines. So if you look at this kind of comparing it to Doc Savage Man of Bronze, yeah, so like if, you, if, if you squint really, really hard <laughs> and, and look through the side of your eyes, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I, I, I don't think we're going to bring you to our level, I think, no. is what we're going to have to agree with this. Oh, no, you're not. I'm, I'm more interested, though, in just having an appreciation. I, I, you know, I've said so many times between this show and Back to the Bins that... I don't criticize people for liking things I don't like or vice versa because I think, you know, taste is totally subjective. Uh, I think, you know, there are times where you can have an objective opinion as to this is well made or that's a, you know, a well acted scene. Even that, though, has a certain amount of subjectivity. So I don't criticize people for having different opinions than me on stuff like this. Uh, I just try to understand them. And, and, I, and I, you know, my, my thought is always, if you disagree with me and you can articulate why, then I respect your opinion. You know, if, if, if I really loved this and you came on and you said, yeah, this movie sucks. And then I said, well, why does it suck? Because it's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> then, then I don't really respect your opinion quite so much. Mm -hmm. but, but, I mean, you guys are giving me reasons why you think this was good and I, I'm at least trying to give you reasons why I didn't enjoy it I'm not even going to say reasons why it was bad I'm saying reasons why I didn't enjoy it um, and I think that's all fine I think that's that's part of the nature of a show like this uh, I don't necessarily want to agree on everything I, I think it's it, it makes for a more interesting show when we don't agree and and for me you know just to go into it a little bit uh, I felt like again I feel like it's a stellar cast so I'm not going to criticize the acting to speak of but I thought that it was a series of non-sequiturs, and the non-sequiturs were so outrageous uh, and unexplained very often that it, it became almost a, a slog to have to follow it and watch it. 
maybe if I had the wherewithal to watch it multiple times, I would start getting getting an appreciation for the slyness of some of the lines or just the silliness of some of the lines. Uh, and, and I would, you know, start to appreciate the movie better. Uh, but I don't really, you know, having, based on my experience, the first time watching it, I doubt I'm ever going to watch it again. So I don't <laughs> think I'm going to get that appreciation. And, you know, again, I don't criticize you guys for liking it. I'm just saying I really didn't get much out of it. That, that's perfectly fine. Not everyone has to like every movie. And and, and the I, funny thing is I've always prided myself on saying I could sit through virtually any movie and get some enjoyment out of it. Well, and, and I we guess, can put you to the test. I, I guess as I'm getting older, I'm getting just a little bit more crotchety and get off my lawn-like because <laughs> this one really didn't give me much. Uh, I mean, there were probably a couple of moments here and there that I perked up a little. but it, it Well, if this was done now, it, it would have got... I guarantee you it would have got the sequel that is shown at the end of the movie would never happened. Although I believe it may, it'll, there's been comics beyond, um, uh, the Marvel adaptation that has done the world crime lead by, I want to say it was moon was the, it was either boom or moon moonstone. I think we discussed that last time, Gene, but I haven't looked into it further. Neither have I. I've just stuck with the Marvel adaptation. That's it. Yeah, but but there was like a black and white comic that that went further with the Buckaroo story. So I mean, I'm surprised with all the nostalgia stuff. Although this has got more of a cult cult following, so maybe they're not ready to reboot this and give it you know three four sequels. So I, I really I would rather not see another movie made yeah. i would rather see like i said before uh, a, a marvel comic well i don't think you but, could re- legitimately do another movie without recasting it i don't think you oh, yeah, would have yeah to no you no, couldn't no, have no. current day peter weller playing older buckaroo pines now you'd have some young skinny kid with a beard doing it solving everything on his phone <laughs> no. i wouldn't fit into that movie at all you could have jeff goldblum back though he could be the robert ito character that would Actually, be, he could. Yeah. <laughs> that would be very interesting. Buckaroo! <laughs> he, he could be the son of Buckaroo. Buckaroo's and Penny's son. And then Jeff Goldblum is his, uh, is his mentor. Yeah, it, he, but Jeff Goldblum still is playing New Jersey. It's just New exactly. Jersey. Yeah. He, he's the only Cavalier that's, that's still around. Everybody else is new. I mean, I don't know. The rest of the guys might be around, too. You might have... Uh, uh, you probably get them pretty cheap, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I, I don't know how Billy Vera is doing out there, also known as Pinky Carruthers. Billy Vera from Billy Vera and the Beaters. Is, okay, because Michelle had had that question last night. She said, is that the same? I don't know. <laughs> okay, yep. I, I will make sure that she, she gets that information. Yep, that is him. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure some of these other people, I mean, Clancy Brown. I don't know. Well, no, he died, but maybe he could be the voice of the, uh, the computer. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're going to do our own movie. We got our own script. We don't need their movie. We should just come out with our own stories, Gene. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Buckaroo Banzai uh, hasn't been seen in 20 years since his defeat of Hanoi Zan, the leader of the World Crime League. And now his son has taken up the challenge of finding find his, his missing father. And then Peter Weller is shown at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he is now, and Peter Weller, of course, would now be the villain. 
Of course. He he's the new leader of the World Crime League. <laughs> yes, and he's probably be well, yeah. And and he would be like uh uh to kind of put it to another show that we're both on, uh, Paul, uh, he would be like when Cisco played the villain in the holodeck and he wants to flood mm-hmm. the world because he's the ultimate environmentalist. <laughs> <laughs> but then you would need David Warner in the movie. Oh, Ray Salgu, yeah. yeah. That's who Peter Weller will become. He will be Ray Sal Banzai. <laughs> or Raish. So, any, anything more about this film that you'd like to uh, pontificate on? Well, the director only did one other movie, so you won't have run any chance of running into him, Paul. And what was that of any, anything of note at all? Let's see. I just looked at it a second ago. It was in 1991 and called Late for Dinner. Oh, yeah. Oh, you've seen that? No, I never heard of it. Oh, had Peter Berg in it. Two young men evading a police for a crime they didn't commit are cryogenically... Fr- oh, wait a minute. This was- <laughs> wait a minute. This looks a little interesting. <laughs> hold on. Hold on now. Oh, I didn't know the plot here. Two young men evading the police for a crime they didn't commit are cryogenically frozen in the early 1960s. The next thing they know is they are in a strange new world 30 years on. Hmm. Hmm. It does sound like an interesting concept, I have to say. And you know what? <laughs> And, and I'm not going to tell you things about that I think about this movie, because uh, I'm sure it's going to be covered at some point in here. But it's not surprising to me that the director of this movie was also a screenwriter on Big Trouble in Little China. Mm. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're not slamming Big Trouble in Little I China. I said I'm not going to give you any opinions on Big Trouble okay. in Little China right now. But but that does also. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll only, that with my son last night. I'll only go as far as to say Big Trouble in Little China certainly tries to pick up the very strange comic book feel mm-hmm. that this movie seems to have. So it's, it's not discovered- a surprise to, to see that, that, that there were some similar hands involved. Ben just discovered Kurt Russell from Netflix with the movie that's currently on Netflix where he plays Santa Claus. The Santa Claus Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Just discovered Kurt Russell. He hasn't yep. seen Guardians Volume Two. He hasn't seen the well, no, 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 no. Tennis shoes. That's, well, no, he's never seen any of those movies. And I just we do. Uh, I had a long discussion with him today. Yeah, I had the Kurt Russell talk with him. I was like, "Well, you see, Kurt Russell was actually a child actor for Disney. Well, he was. He knew him from Ego. I mean, from playing Ego uh-huh. in Guardians. He's like, yeah, that guy that played in Guardians. Well, he's playing Santa Claus. I'm like, Kurt Russell." He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, you know, Ben, uh, he's actually <laughs> a young child, a young Disney store, the computer wore tennis shoes, and the world's strongest man. And then he reinvented himself as Snake Plissken in the Escape yeah. from New York. I would, I introduce, I would introduce him with Escape from New York, and then I'd work oh, my I'm, way, I'd work my way to. up to the thing. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Big trouble in Little China, and then let him watch the thing. Freak him out so he won't. <laughs> He's yeah, make sure he watches the thing. But you know what? You, you could throw in, like, Overboard, which is not the worst well, of romantic comedies. Well, that's what I told him, and then I explained, I'm like, yeah, then he was with Goldie Hawn, and they have a kid, but I can't remember their name, but uh, it's not it's not Hawn or Russell, but uh, she's an actress, and uh, he's he was all confused. I, mind blown. <laughs> so all that said, I'm going to take you to the, to the final question of this episode, and we'll start with Gene. Okay. Is it yours, Gene? I love this movie. I've enjoyed this movie over many, many years. However, it is not 
Jaws. Uh, I can see that there are flaws with it. I can see where people wouldn't enjoy it. I consider it to be something that I can rewatch over and over. So I'm going to put it right in the middle of Jaws 2. That's fair. Bill? Yeah, I'm 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 with Gene because I even noted earlier that uh, there's a few points that I'm just like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, we got to get through this part. It's a little slow, and yeah, okay, we're back to the comedy gold or you know the nostalgia gold, mining that nostalgia now. Um, so yeah, this this for me is a Jaws a Jaws two. Okay, now for me, I'm gonna give it the dual rating because for me personally. I really got very little enjoyment out of this, and I'm going to give it, for me personally, a Jaws 4. But I'm going to qualify that by saying I do understand how somebody with a different mindset watching it might get better mileage out of it. And for that reason, I'm going to give it the second rating of a Jaws 3 that I could see where I can I can understand where people enjoy it, even though That's I fair. personally didn't. <laughs> That's perfectly fair. Yes. I'm sorry that we made you watch this and you didn't no, get much out of no, it. No, not at all. You know, I, that, quite, that, that's a chance. That totally honestly, it, it's been, you know, I've heard people talk about this for years, so it's always been on my to-watch list. So all you did was expedite that. You know, sooner or later I was going to watch it, and in some ways I'm glad I didn't drag anybody down with me and say, oh, <laughs> we, have, we have to watch this movie. I've heard it's really good. <laughs> I, I, I have had some trouble with that particular rabbit hole of late. <laughs> I I could see your kids going. What what are you making us watch? And, and on the other, on the other hand, they may watch it and love it. Who knows? But you know that that'll do it. Oh, that's for, true. That's uh, true. Yeah, that'll do it for the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, thanks, Bill and Gene, for coming on. Anybody I could who... hear the air quotes on the thanks. <laughs> no, thank you for coming on. I always enjoy, I always enjoy talking to you guys. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to just say, anybody who listens to the Two True Freaks Network knows who Bill and Gene are, so they shouldn't have to tell you where, they, where their shows or appearances are to be found. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in, and uh, see you in two weeks. I want some music out of you characters. You want it, Artie? You got it. Let's rock and roll!
is someone out there not having a good time? Wait, wait, wait. Kill that spot, kill it. 